Millennials are grossly underestimated. Their jobs aren't their whole worlds. They have options, they have the internet. Job satisfaction and strength of relationships, there ain't no app for that. Education is not a mechanical system, it's a human system. Any kind of work that's on some level predictable, then that's gonna be susceptible to artificial intelligence and, and machine learning. And that job, where you go to a building and you stay there 40 hours, and then you do that again for 40 years and then you retire, that's gone. Technology magnifies our leverage and increases our creativity. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Please wait as your individualized operating system is initiated. This is the Powerful Nonsense Podcast, guiding you through the madness of modern life. This podcast is sponsored by the University of Northampton, the first UK university to be awarded the Ashoka U Changemaker Campus status, in recognition of their commitment to social entrepreneurship. Now, here are your hosts, Wayne Ingram and Jem Yildiz. Welcome back. Powerful nonsenses to part two of our interview with Pete Matthew. Um, if you're listening for the first time, first of all, I am Wayne Ingram. I am Jim Yildiz. And secondly, if you're listening for the first time, this is part two of an interview with Pete Matthew. So if you haven't listened to part one, which was last week's episode, you have our full permission to hit pause on this episode. Go back, go back one episode, listen to that first, and then come back to us. Because, honestly, you won't want to miss part one. This has been a great, great interview that we did, uh, that we decided to split up into two, because there's just so much goodness in there. Um, So uh, go back, listen to part one, then come back and listen to this section, this half of the interview. This episode, thank you. Um, (laughs) and, And to get the full... Full experience. Uh, Pete Matthew, um, if you haven't yet done what I've told you to do and pause and gone back to the <laughs> previous episodes. Um, you rebel, just coming straight in at number two. Then I know, I know now, <laughs> you little shit. Or they might tease themselves with this one and be like, oh, actually, that was really good. Now oh, yeah, I'll go back maybe, and listen. Maybe. Um, but if you still, after even this bit of tete a tete, uh, you haven't gone back to part one, Pete Matthew is, um, he's a long-term podcaster been doing it for longer than we have but he's also an expert in the financial department um so it's been great to finally have somebody that can actually back up with some financial experience (laughs) some of the things that we've been talking about for a long time with this podcast so uh we talk about um the relationship with money we talk about psychological um how you can increase your earnings how you can increase your savings how you can plan for the future student loans good idea bad idea pensions and all those things in between. All those things millennials do not consider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And all those horrible words we try to pretend don't exist. Um, so, yes, go back, listen to part one. Uh, but if you have listened to part one already, you're probably like, just get on with part two because yeah, you've up, been boys. I've listened. I've listened to part one. I want part two. So, um, won't keep you waiting any longer. Here is part two of our interview with Pete Matthew. So, obviously, there's a big debate at the moment whether uni's worth it, whether the loans are too high um again for us we're sort of more on the on the side of actually uni is great because it is going to increase your ability to earn it's also a great time of where you've literally got so much time in your hands to explore these little entrepreneurial ventures and kind of even in that time if you're you can enjoy your 
however many grand you get each term to enjoy yourself and go out but actually as long as you've got that foresight from year one of when i get out this is my financial plan we think it's a great opportunity i'd just like to get like what a sort of what sort of advice are you giving to your daughter and also um what is your thought on the student loan system at the moment yeah okay i mean we're encouraging her to go i won't certainly not going to put any pressure on her she's got a couple of options she quite fancies university of exeter it's only a couple of hours away but they also have a campus in penryn which is only like 40 minutes drive away so she may even stay home so but we kind of would like her to go away this for all for all the reasons <laughs> not just we want to get a shot of her but you know um for all the reasons you said jen yeah. because joe and i both experienced that getting out of the house being self-sufficient for the first time and yeah you meet people there become friends for life uh, opportunities you might find you might find your passion there you know and even if you don't you have a great three or four years um and uh, learn some life skills so, so I, I think it's a great idea um i really hope um that people don't get put off because of the student loan system which i think uh is actually as bad as good as it can be but i think it's very badly marketed <laughs> i have a dis- distinction between uh, good debt and bad debt um, bad debt is high interest borrowing used to buy stuff that goes down in value Right, so mm-hmm. a car loan generally is bad debt. It's necessary for many of us, but it, you know, it generally it's not a good debt. Store cards and credit cards, high interest, usually meant usually used to buy stuff which is worthless after a period of time. Good debt is generally lower interest and buy stuff which goes up in value. So mortgage is a good debt. Houses generally rise and how and mortgage rates are low. Mm. Student debt falls into the latter because even we'll talk about the interest in a minute, even though they you know they've announced this year and it's going up to six point one percent interest, that sounds quite high. Historically it's not, but it sounds quite high. Um, but you're buying an education. Okay. Now, I was one of the last to enjoy a free university education. Um, I got a student loan out and I bought two keyboards with it because I was in a band at the time. <laughs> so I didn't <laughs> use it to eat or anything. I bought stuff which goes down in value. So that was really bad. But um, student loans essentially are not loans. Most people will never even remotely pay them back. Mm-hmm. Um, the best resource on student loans is actually a Martin Lewis money saving expert, uh, expert uh, page. Um, and it's just the most succinct summary of how it works. And there's even calculators on there saying, okay, if you borrow the full amount and you start on 25, 30, or 40 grand a year after you leave, this is how much you'll pay back. And it's actually striking. People get hung up on the interest rate. Actually, the mm-hmm. interest rate doesn't really matter. Neither does the amount you borrow. It's what you pay back that matters. And that's the same uh, as a rate for everybody. You pay 9% of everything you earn above 21 grand. So if you earn more, you pay more, but you can afford it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it actually works pretty well as a system, um, but it, there are still some considerations to take. So we are encouraging our daughter to go and she will be taking out the full student loans is the mm. short answer. Sorry yeah. to your question. <laughs> I um, I remember actually me and you were having a conversation, Jem, probably a month or two ago uh, talking about student loans and Jem was like, yeah, but it should work like this. You should You should take out the loan and then depending on how much you earn, that should be how much you pay back. And I said, yeah, that's exactly how it does work. And he was like, oh, 
Well, then what's the problem? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, exactly. But nobody knows that. No. <laughs> That's because we get, we get hung up on headline numbers. 51,600 is the maximum you can borrow them in. Right. That's a shed load of money. Yeah. But most people won't get anywhere close to paying that yeah. back, let alone that plus the interest, because it's all mm-hmm. written off after 30 years. Yeah. So there's a, you know, you could talk about the impact on the taxpayer, but that's no different from what it was when the taxpayer made paid for me to go to university. So right. I, don't, I don't buy a lot of the angst around student loans, really. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of in, a, in agreement. I, when, when the uh, tuition fees went up a few years ago, I was the one uh, kind of saying, yeah, but really, in reality, you're probably not going to pay any more than you were paying before. Um, with the previous rate, it's ju- it's purely uh, economical game, so that it looks better to the bank. Really, the bank that the the government's borrowing the money from. They go, we put well, we've put higher interest rates. They're borrowing more money, so that in re- in reality they'll be paying back more. But actually, it's only on paper people will be paying back more. In reality, they'll probably be paying. I mean, I'm I'm no money guy, but probably around the same amount i would have thought well yeah and even the interest rate is variable it depends on how much you're earning so you know while you're at university it's inflation plus three but if you graduate on less than 21 you're just paying inflation so the interest at inflation so the amount you borrow actually doesn't rise in real mm. terms mm. um it's, i think it's 42 grand if your earnings and above then you're paying the inflation plus three percent but it's right. kind of graded so if, you, if you're paying if you're earning say twenty five thousand, so a little bit over the minimum you're probably paying inflation plus 0.6. So what's that, about 3.7%. So nobody or very few people will leave university and pay the full amount of interest. Remember, you pay your loan off first and the interest is added and you pay that at the end. And most people never get anywhere near it. Mm-hmm. So what but we don't understand it. We don't preach this stuff. No, I get Because we should be teaching this stuff, you know? Uh-huh. I know. And I, I get from when I try and explain this to, to young people, I often get accused of being a bit of an apologist for the tuition fee rise. Um, <laughs> and and it's not that I think that it that we should be we it's not that I don't think that the tuition fee should be going up. I think that made sense. Um, it's more that I just don't think it's actually in real terms made any difference. Um, but so for those that are going, um, kind of what advice would you give to a student for making the most of that money that they have borrowed often under duress? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, against their sort of... Uh, Classically student, slightly left-wing principles. Yeah, I get yeah. it. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd probably get shot down for that. Um, the, the way to make the most of it and is to learn the basic discipline, which will actually serve you extremely well through life. And it, it's a word that sort of strikes fear and boredom into people in equal measure, and that's budgeting, budgeting. right? Yeah. <laughs> now, now, I will be sitting my daughter down and saying, right, this is the pot of money you have at the start of term. This is how long you're going to be there. We've got some big costs like uh, accommodation and stuff like that, which leaves you with this. What are we going to spend it on? And budgeting is all about telling your money where to go. So, and again, it's about being intentional and deliberate. So if you want to tell your money, right, I'm going to spend 50 quid a week on beer, then decide that. Uh, But if that then means you have to eat worse food or you have to, you know, eat every other day or something, then at least that's that's a decision you've made, right? Right. So you make the most of it by deciding what you're going to do with it and not just throwing all caution to the wind. It really is that simple. You think, okay, I've got to eat. I've got to have fun. Um, I maybe want to go to the movies a couple of times a month or whatever. What's that going to cost me? And 
you know, let's see if it stacks up. And if it doesn't, something's got to give. But then it's the ongoing discipline of not being swayed when your friends say, let's go out again. It's then having the spine to say, I can't. Maybe I can next month, but I can't now or whatever. And that's not easy. I, you know, I get it. It's not easy. Or just um, call dad up and say, dad, I need a little bit of extra cash. Send me some more money, daddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, do you want to come myself? up this weekend? <laughs> I'll take you out for a meal <laughs> that you'll pay for. <laughs> yeah. Got it all to come. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But on the um, student loan and getting an education, especially a degree nowadays, it seems to be like the they expect it now going into any job i literally had to do an unpaid unpaid i did an unpaid internship when i left uni and literally there was a need for a degree for that so i think people need to realize it's kind of like that you just got to have it nowadays yeah unfortunately there's a lot more options now you know it's not just classics at cambridge or nothing you know you can do you know degrees in advertising or in you know in anything which is great i think you know do i we've definitely been encouraging our uh, kids, my eldest daughter particularly, to just do something she enjoys and don't worry too much about the vocational end result because having a degree will probably serve her better than having a really narrowly focused degree, you know, just in one thing. My wife is a nurse. She got a nursing degree. It's naff all use for anything else, and she's not a nurse anymore. So we've been saying, well, look, do spend three years doing something you want to do. I did electronics. I'm crap. I couldn't do the maths. I hated it. I did two years of an electronics degree and binned it because I couldn't do the maths. What I should have done was English Lit, which I loved. And if I'd <laughs> done that, I'd have had a great time at university. I'd probably still would have got a job at the end of it, right? So Yeah, that's a thing I think a lot of young people don't really consider as well. I think uh, we've done an article this on a blog post we did about this whole idea that people kind of go to university and maybe they just google what's going to earn me the most money after graduating or and then that's what they'll choose their degree based on whereas until they leave i mean how many of our friends you could speak to them now in the same like what you just said there where if you said to them what would you have liked to do at uni now they know exactly which course they wish they had taken it's just they often think yeah. about the one that's gonna mm-hmm. get them the job at the end of it yeah do what you love yeah mm. and unfortunately for the people that have now gone oh yeah that's what i would have done they now can't actually get the loan that they so desperately didn't want to take out to do the thing that they didn't really enjoy <laughs> is yeah, the, is the sad irony of it mm-hmm. mm. it so um, i was wondering in your family do you push sort of like the entrepreneurship side of things for your daughter when she graduates because obviously there's so much competition now getting into jobs is she kind of in that mindset of yes i need to get a job because i know when i as at university, I generally did not know a thing about entrepreneurship at all. I didn't even know that was a viable option. Is that something that you kind of push? Because obviously nowadays it seems we're heading towards this sort of freelance gig economy. We've got lots of stats that we've shared. Is that something you sort of speak to her about that actually maybe it's not going to be a 20-year career you're going after? Actually, you might go out on your own, especially if yourself you've got a business Well, exactly. I think she sort of sees it by virtue of the fact that I you know, own a business here, but I didn't set it up. I bought into it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but we've, you know, grown it many times since I uh, was able to do that. Um, so she kind of sees that. I wouldn't say we're having sort of sit down conversations with her about that, but you know, my wife works for the national trust. So she works for a big national employer, uh, part time. She didn't work for 15 years. We thought we were able uh, to make that decision. That's what Joe wanted to do. She wanted to be home with the kids and we were able to do it, but it was hard, you know, cause mm. we're on one income for a long time. Um, so we're, we're sort of teaching the kids really, 
that where possible, do what you want to do, um, understand the implications. So when we decided that Joe would be full time at home with the kids, we knew we wouldn't be going abroad on holidays probably because we wouldn't be able to afford to do that. So we, you know, we bought a tent, we went camping for six years and got wet every single time. (laughs) Um, we literally, the girls had their first foreign holiday three years ago and they're nearly 18 and 14. So they, you know, the first 11 to 13 years of their lives, they never went abroad on holiday. They're no worse off for it. We, you know, we could have put that stuff on credit cards, but we chose not to. So we're kind of just trying to give the girls, um, an understanding that, um, uh, be intentional, make a decision, understand the implications, prepare for it where you can, um, and just sort of grab life by the sort of scruff of the neck and not be too sort of passive and reactive to stuff. Um, a bit of a waffly answer, like all of them, but um, <laughs> there are, there's going to be so many options available to her, but she sees what I do and she sees what I do online as well. And they do ask questions, of course. Oh, well, that's good at least. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So you actually mentioned... Um, something which is a bit of a contentious issue for me it's one thing that really does wind me up which is about um having been on uh, essentially the household bringing in a single income and one of the things that frustrates me most about the rising living costs etc etc is now um you i feel i feel as though uh, younger people are on even more of a disadvantage now if they happen to be single. It's almost impossible to be able to rent a place on the wages of, or certainly on minimum wage in this country if you're a singleton without having to do a house share. Um, it's it's nigh on impossible to buy a property to oh, yeah. to yeah. own if you are now a singleton. Um, what would you, is there anything you'd like to see shift in that or anything that you might as somebody that's been through that process yourself of, of having single income coming into the house any advice you'd give to millennials now given the change of landscape I don't know whether my experience would directly translate though because mm, you know I bought course. my first house for f- 55 grand you know <laughs> right, you buy a garage for that down in, in <laughs> not even down in Penzance that wouldn't get you a garage you know like <laughs> right. that three sort of two bedroom house. So, so I'm not sure my uh, experience would directly relate. And I I don't know that there's an answer to that way. That is simple maths, isn't it? Yeah. Um, It's it's a horrible situation, I think. It is. Yeah. It sucks very hard, but I don't know. Um, Ultimately, most things are driven by market factors. So clearly, you know, landlords don't feel that they have to put their rents down to a point where Singleton can afford it. And we're clearly not building enough affordable homes either Mm -hmm. to buy or to rent. So that's just a massive sort of infrastructure government size issue rather than something an individual can do too much about, I'm afraid to say. Yeah, of course, which is kind of what I was thinking. Do you think, therefore, and it's something that I've not to get too political, but do you think um, that uh, that an introduction perhaps of some sort of subsidy for those that are in a less fortunate position, i.e. not romantically involved with someone... Well, they tried that with that, the whole share-to-buy scheme, didn't they? That I suppose idea so, that you yes. could buy it, I which... I think you spoke, you spoke about that. I think you did, did a episode... Did you do an episode on that? Or yeah, I did. I interviewed somebody it. who had used yeah. help to buy and, and shared ownership and stuff, yeah. Literally, yeah. That's, and that, it, that stopped me from getting a share-to-buy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, was, yeah. what, what, was, what was the... 
without kind of opening up that can of worms too much, what was what was the general issue with the share to buy? Because that does feel like the kind of stepping that, that stone was that could have solved like, the issue. Here we go. Now you can have a home, but you just own a very small fraction of it, and now you still kind of pay rent and you still pay a mortgage in some ways. Right. Okay. And it was really hard to get yeah. out, wasn't it? Like you to sell it. It was. Yeah, yeah, there is. I can't remember the name. It's a section, something. It's some section of the the, the legal the mm. rules around it. Or the yeah, it means that uh, sort of shared ownership houses are harder to sell on. So you're getting less of the benefit, maybe, of generally rising house prices. And right. of course, you don't own it all, so you're only sort of growing a fraction of the equity anyway, because only course. a little bit. So, bit of so it in many yours. ways, it kind of defeats the object. Yeah, I have, a, I have a friend who did it, and he literally bought a place in, I think, like Hackney or somewhere, maybe like five, six years ago, and he bought like half of it. And now it's impossible for him to buy the other half. It's just gone up so high that he can never buy yeah. the other half. So it's like... Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's maybe slightly microcosmic for the London sort of area, yeah. but so it might be a better option for somebody, you know, in Hull or, you know, somewhere like that. But um, yeah, like anything, going with your eyes open, understand the implications for sure. Because the guy I interviewed... I think it actually had a fairly good experience, but he was mm-hmm. went up in the northern powerhouse somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're finding that <laughs> in London as well. The amount of people I know from London who are just like, well, it's not going to happen for me in London in terms of getting a place. So let's move out. It's a little bit extra on train journeys in, but mm-hmm. I'd rather take that hit and own something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so, okay. So home ownership for millennials is, is now very uh difficult thing to achieve um the other thing that we're often given a lot of advice about uh financially and this is genuinely a question now that i'm starting to consider and toying with the idea of is pensions um (laughs) we're now in a position where the value of pensions is now in question at least from the millennial standpoint we're not sure whether or not it's worth doing so i guess my question to you would be is it worth doing could I also put my yeah. stance on this initially? This is my current stance, which when people say, oh, Gemma, you're paying into a pension, which is probably totally warped and totally wrong. But when people say it, I'm like, to be honest, I'd rather keep my money now, save up, and then buy hopefully another property and then buy a few, that, and use that sort of monopoly method of buy a few properties and let, let that, like my dad doesn't have a pension, but he has multiple pro- properties and that hopefully yeah. is going to be his pension because he doesn't have one. But then I know that's probably a terrible way of thinking. And obviously... No, I'm not at all. A, I'm coming from a business stance as well because I know it's very different yeah. if people have a job, which I'll let you kind of unpack it. Yeah. Um, pensions are not a bad thing, but they're not the be-all and end-all either. Mm. The, the purpose of a pension, the problem is that word pension is just laden. Like, yeah, it's horrendous, isn't it? Ah, yeah. <laughs> it's a dreadful word. Loads the of financial just needs to sort their market now, don't they, on a lot of yeah, loans, yeah, pension. I'm, Let's change it to different so- words. <laughs> Yeah, I'm on a one-man mission to do that, mate. That's exactly <laughs> right. Um, all a pension is is a savings plan, right? Think of it as a piggy bank. That's basically all it is. The benefit of a pension is that it's not just you putting into it. Uh, if you have a, if you work for somebody else, then your employer will be putting money into it for you. Very often, matching and maybe even exceeding what you put in, and the government puts money in in the form of tax relief, which basically means if you're a basic rate taxpayer, you put 80p in, the government will put in 20p to make it up to a pound, right? So let's not escape the fact that unlike pretty much any other savings vehicle, there are a couple of others which are the preserve of the more wealthy, but unlike pretty much anything else, pensions, you get free money from other people. Lifetime ISA is another one. 
right? You get a bonus from the government if you invest. You can put more into a pension, right? And your boss pays in. That's different. Now, if you're self-employed, you haven't got a boss. Um, but so there's still two people paying in, though, because you pay in and the government pays in. So it's free money. Nobody turns down free money. What's the downside? Well, downside is you can't access it till you're 55, which when you're 25 feels like an, it is a lifetime away. Um, <laughs> But uh, that time is one of your biggest friends when it comes to financial uh, planning because time is the fundamental element of compounding, which mm. you know, even Einstein, I think, said was you know the eighth wonder of the world or something. The sort of growing money on top of money. If you've got time, which you have if you're 25 and you're saving into a pension, um, that will work wonders for you. So, But a pension isn't the be-all and end-all because it's just one way of increasing your wealth into the future. Property is an obvious other one. Um, you know, if you can get onto the buy to let ladder, you know, I'm sure you guys have listened to Rob and Rob on the property podcast who are just, have you listened to those guys? No, sure. I haven't no, actually, no. These guys are the ultimate UK podcasters. Brilliant. Rob Dix and Rob Bentz. It's called The Property Podcast. Anything you need to know about investing in property, even if you think it's five years away, you need to listen to those guys. It's an incredible resource. Uh, the download numbers those boys are getting as podcasters, you and I, tell you what, it, uh, I'm very <laughs> Small fry. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm small fry compared to those guys. They're creaming it. But, um, but they do great work. They put amazing information out consistently. So property is a great way of building at well for the future. Pensions are ISAs. They're just different ways to skin the same cat and they come with different pros and cons like anything else. So the pros of a pension is that other people pay into it as well as you. The downsides are you can't access it, but it's incredibly tax efficient while it's growing. You pay some tax on the other end, but that's okay. You worry about that down the line. Um, ISAs are another way. It's just lots of different kind of ways of building wealth. The ideal scenario is that as you go through life, you build up Several of them. I don't own any property yet, but it's fully my intention to do so to supplement my pension. So, right. mm. you know, it's not the be all and end all. Just get over the the bad sort of um, press that pensions have got, and just consider right. it a very tax efficient savings plan, and you're you're golden. So, so you would say you're get pro, a pension. You're pro pensions, then. God, I mean, if you're working for somebody else and there's a pension at work, which there will be because it's now law under the mm. auto enrollment rules, not joining it is such a moronic decision. I will be as strong right. as that because wow. it's free from your boss. Why the hell wouldn't you suck that up? All you need to do is to learn to spend a little bit less because you'll have a little bit less at the end of your pay slip. Mm -hmm. right. That's good. That's budgeting. Just learn how to do it and suck it up because that money will be in there for 30 years and it'll probably be worth 10 or 15 times what you put in. And what, you know, why not? If it's invested properly. Mm -hmm. And all these auto-enrollment schemes, they've got usually good default investments inside it. If a pension fund is just a savings plan, the investment is what goes on inside it. But, the, you know, you probably don't have to think about that. It'll be a decent default fund. It'll grow over time. And you'll be amazed at what it'll be worth. All my clients who are wealthy have got pension funds. Now, you might think, well, it's all right for them. You know, they've had great returns mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff. But they consistently put in money um, year after year after year. And that's how you become wealthy. Good discipline, consistently applied over time. So join a pension, for God's sake. And so I don't know if you've uh, read, you know, Anthony Robbins recently had that uh, money master the game. And I've, I've read these kind of books and I see what they're saying, but it always seems very sort of Americanified. I was just wondering, hey, that's, there, there we go, is. that's the book. And so for me, when I looked at that, 
Exactly, it's huge. I was like, how does that apply to somebody in the UK? And what could if if you were if I was someone say just come out of school, just got my come out of university, just got my first job, and I wanted to kind of put what he says into some sort of system, what would my financial planning look like in terms of the pension? Do I go into stocks? Is there some UK based? It's, again, it's the advice that I feel I need myself. Yeah. Is so yeah. What would yes. you advise oh, if, yes. if you if you could make the so ideal kind of planning for someone who wants to, who's read that book but then is in the UK is a young person got their job going got money coming in how do they set out to follow that so glad you asked that Deddy's I'm writing the book on this at the minute by the way so it'll be out probably by Easter next year the Meaningful Money book will be out and I'm stoked about it because it's going to answer exactly that question Meaningful Money the podcast is, is sort of everything you need to know and everything you need to do to get your financial house in order and none of the extraneous crap that you don't need to worry about right which but which the industry loves to load on people and just confuse people so financial management it really comes down to three steps. One, you need to spend less than you earn, right? And that is budgeting, okay? It's deciding that you are going to save a little bit, enjoy this much, and be deliberate and intentional about that, and applying that consistently, month after month after month. It's a discipline, right? There's no way around it. You just need to man up and get on with it, right? And, and there, I've got sort of tools to help people do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so spend less than you earn is number one. The second thing is to protect against disaster. Now, while you're young, free, and single, that's less of an issue because there's nobody dependent on you. But when you're in a relationship or if kids come along or if you've got a big mortgage debt or something, you need to understand the implications of if you get hit by a bus or whatever or become seriously ill, that will have financial implications. And there are insurances you can take out fairly cheaply, particularly if you're young, which will sort of lay a good foundation. And even if the worst happens, your family doesn't have to be completely derailed financially. So spend less than you earn insure against disaster. And the third thing, and that's this is really it, is to invest wisely. Well, that's fairly sort of <laughs> high level. What does that actually mean? <laughs> Join a pension if there's one at work, right? Do it. Every time you get a pay rise, your in, uh, payment into it will rise because it's usually expressed as a percentage of your earnings, two, three percent maybe. So as you earn more, you will contribute more. Um, if you get a bonus or a significant pay jump or something like that, decide that I'm going to put a little bit of that into it as well, right? So every time you get more money, you just increase your um, savings into that. Pension and an ISA, right? Now, an ISA's got few different types now. Lifetime ISA is a pretty good idea, but it's limited as to how much you can put in and when you can take the money out. But most people, 98% of people listening to this will only ever need a pension and an ISA consistently saved into over time. Pensions and ISAs are just boxes. They're tax sort of, they're, they're piggy banks with tax rules attached to them. What matters is what's inside them. And that's what you asked, Jen, at the end of your question there. Most people just need a, what's called a multi-asset fund. So it's a fund which spreads the money all the way around the world, right, and um, uh, invests very cheaply, right? So you you need to spend as little amount of money on fees as possible. Most people never need to see a financial advisor. They just need to do this stuff consistently. Um, So I've got to be very careful because I'm a regulated advisor. Mm -hmm. I'm not allowed to say – 
consider this fund and that fund. The second I do that, I can be censored. So mm-hmm. much as I love you guys, I'm not going to put my career on the line, right? But I have an episode, which is how to find a multi-asset fund, right? And All it gives right. you step by step how to do it. So, you know, I'll send you the link for that so you can put it in the show notes or something. Yeah. Um, Please do. But I've got an ebook which does these three steps, tells you about these three steps, and so much resources on Meaningful Money. But if you do those three things, spend less than you earn, insure against disaster when you've got a few more people relying on you perhaps, and save consistently over time, you'll be fine. The rest is detail. If you decide to go into property, then great. Um, you know, if you get an inheritance, then great. But those three disciplines uh, are the key to financial success. There is nothing more to it than that, I promise you. Mm-hmm. And I definitely recommend um, definitely recommend everyone just check out uh, Pete's podcast. Um, I've been listening to it. It's a very, very nice kind of layman's terms breakdown i think a lot of the financial kind of advice bit heavy isn't it uh, yeah it can feel like you're trying to translate uh, the bible from hebrew or something like that sometimes <laughs> um and i think you pete you do a very good job of making it sound really really simple yeah. and really easy thank to you, digest mate. um it is it doesn't need to be more complicated than that it doesn't no, need to no, it so doesn't. thank you for that you're, you're welcome um so we are going to have to start wrapping up because i know you're a very busy guy jen a question Yes. Uh, um, basically, one other thing we want to talk about, obviously, we talk a lot about like future and tech. And so, obviously, uh, the uh, no. financial planning world, is, you've been in it for so long. I just wonder what sort of implications you think technology is going to have, because I know my friend was mentioning an app the other day, Clio, which tells you, like, texts you how much to save or do you want to put some money into an account. You've also got these bots that are now telling you how to invest and based on what you've currently got. So yeah. there's a lot of this sort of stuff coming. Is that something you've considered? And what's your thoughts on oh, yeah. this sort of um, AI kind of financial planners coming? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited about it. If, if everything I just said in that previously very waffly answer is true, that basically it's about simple stuff applied consistently over time. So much of that is going to be able to be done with the help of technology. So there are um, some fantastic uh, investment options now that you can just sort of sign up to. They'll ask you a bunch of questions and they will invest for you super cheap because it's all done online. Right? Brilliant. I don't need to see a human, right? And really good explanatory <laughs> stuff. So there's stuff like Moolah and, um, uh, oh gosh, the one just went straight out of my mind. Nutmeg. You know, these sort of online investment mm. services, you know, doing a really, really good job. Um, so that's exciting. I had a chat this week, actually, with a guy called Tom Blomfield, who's the founder of uh, Monzo which is a sort of new online bank. It's a bank built for smartphones. And uh, that is basically built around an app, but you get a prepaid MasterCard so you can load money onto it every week or every month. And it kind of forces you to budget. So you can say, I'm going to put on this card this this week and I'm not going to top it up again until this time next week. And that's what I've got for the week. And the app lets you set... Uh, limits, you know, I want to spend this much at, you know, Odeon or this much at the local curry house or whatever. And it will, um, if you're ahead, you know, if you're sort of only halfway through the month, but you've spent 75% of what you said you would uh, spend on that, it will alert you. So it kind of helps you budget, which I just think is amazing. And that's the stuff that they've idea. got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's Monzo. Really, really good. Okay. I've signed up to it myself. We'll link to I haven't that. come across, was it Clear or Clio? Clio, I think it was called Clio. Yeah, I, I haven't come across that, but there are other things which help you, like, you know, if you pay £1.82 for something, it'll say, do you want to put the 18 yeah, yeah. pence? Yeah, I think that's 
Google quid, isn't you? What, what's that called? Plum, I think. It's on. It's, it's yeah, a Facebook okay. bot, I think it is. It's a no, similar I mean, thing. It's, you know, you probably, that's like change. You know, if you were paying cash, that'd be change that would get stuck in the washing machine, isn't it? Or down yeah. the down settee. <laughs> yeah. But little and often, these little incremental amounts will massively add up over time. So mm. I love this stuff. I think this kind of um, uh, technological advances are going are to be really, really helpful. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, I think so. Good question, Jim. Um, so, yes, so um, obviously you're a very busy guy, so we are going to have to start wrapping up. But um, we do have two questions that we do ask every single guest that we have on the podcast. You may or may not know of them. But uh, the two questions are, the show's called Powerful Nonsense. So the two questions are, what's the most powerful piece of advice you've ever been given? And what's the biggest load of nonsense you've ever heard? <laughs> Fantastic. Um, the best piece of advice... Am I allowed two really good pieces of advice? One is advice and one is a, one is a quote. Um, if, if not, I'm going to go with yeah, a quote. Yeah, go for it. Okay, it's, go it, for both. It's, um, right, okay. Well, the best piece of advice was by my first boss when I was a financial advisor, and he said, the object of a business is to spit out money to get it into your own name. So he had a limited company, it made a profit, and he took that profit out and bought stuff with it, properties, pensions, right? So... Mm-hmm. Then, that might not apply directly to your listeners, but it um, it was powerful for me. So here in, I'm not building a business for its own sake here. I'm building a business to feather my own nest, right? Right. So that was quite profound for me. Absolutely. One of the, my favorite quote of all time is attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt, and I'm probably going to completely butcher it here. But she uh, said <clears throat> that, uh, let me get this right now, um, uh, Excellent. Big minds or excellent minds um, consider ideas. Mediocre minds talk about events. Small minds talk about people. Okay? So, mm-hmm. excellent minds talk about ideas. Mediocre minds talk about events. Small minds talk about people. So, I, whenever I'm talking or thinking, I'm sort of trying to constantly assess my inner dialogue. Am I talking about people? Am I just being small-minded here? Or am I trying to focus my mind on big stuff? Um, yeah. you know and I think it's a, that, that's just something that's uh, stuck with me for a lot of years so what's yeah, the most sort of non what's the nonsense that <laughs> somebody said to me um okay you know when you, your mind just goes completely blank I should have <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know you ask it um <clears throat> This is where you're going to have to put an edit in, all right? We're just going to no. We're just going to let the really. pause. We're just, just going to have to stretch oh, that pause out for that. as long as possible. <laughs> okay. We might we might edit you down a little bit. I guess you've got some nonsense you around the whole. Yeah. I guess you've got some nonsense around the whole um, student loan stuff, haven't you? So that's pretty well strong it, nonsense. Yeah, I mean that um, that is. Uh, I mean that is me letting you off the hook, but what I think, yes, it is not, but the. The, the nonsense I'm going to say was something that I believed for a long time and I've changed my mind on. Um, there is actually a brilliant book called The Automatic Millionaire, which I recommend and I give to my younger clients because it talks about putting the essential disciplines in and how really becoming rich over time is about paying yourself first, right? Brilliant book, The Automatic Millionaire by David Bach. But he coined the phrase the latte factor. In other words, if you give up lattes and save that money instead – then you'll be wealthy one day. It's a little bit like the avocado toast guy. (laughs) (laughs) I I just think, man, life is for living. So that's the sort of thing that I've actually come to understand as just nonsense. Nobody's going to do it. I really like 
flat white from Costa. <laughs> it's right next to my office. I think, you know what, bollocks, I can afford it and I like it, so I'm going to have it, right? Mm-hmm. So don't let anybody say, well, you know, it's your own fault you're poor because you've had too many lattes, for God's sake. You know, be <laughs> deliberate about it by all means. But that sort of glib nonsense I just don't buy anymore. Yeah. Phew, so glad that I came yeah. up <laughs> I put a uh, quote up on my Instagram the other day. It was in a book I was reading. It was sort of saying, and the quote was, wealth is the ability to fully experience life. And I think that's sort of what you're summing up there is that you're earning this money so that you can make the most of the life that you're living ultimately. Yeah, money, money is an enabler and a disabler if you haven't got it or if you manage yeah. it badly. Um, yeah. So debt can really work against you. But if you've got assets, you've got freedom for sure. And that itself is a reason to do it, I think. Yeah. The other quote I heard as well this week, which is on the upside, is uh, by Louis C.K. He said, saving money is arrogant. <laughs> he said, then you're... <laughs> <laughs> he goes then you're guessing you're going to still be alive tomorrow <laughs> yeah it's probably taking it a bit far but I get his point yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> valid, valid point all the same yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah cool so well, that's where you're going to enjoy your life now sure yeah, yeah. absolutely um, so before we let you go uh, Pete is there uh, if people want to get to know more of your stuff or get in contact with you is there anywhere where's the best place to find you yeah, I mean, the best hub is meaningfulmoney.tv. Uh, that's the website. You can tell I started with video, right? Because that's the domain that I chose because the dot, dot com was taken. So meaningfulmoney.tv, everything is there. But I'm on Twitter and most places at Pete Matthew. That was M-A-T-T-H-E-W, no S on the end and two yeah. T's. So, yeah, I'd love to hear from people. Um, you know, I'll dive in. Do you guys put comments on, do you think, uh, on your oh, posts uh, or they not? Are, they are enabled, available, but, but I don't think anybody ever does. Don't really get any. <laughs> yeah, if you do, if you've got any questions, ask them in the comments on the show notes and I'll dive yeah, in and answer. That'd be great. Wicked. Amazing. Right. Thanks so much for your time on this, Pete. It's been absolutely great. As I say, we do so many episodes talking about this stuff and always have to caveat it with, but don't take our word for it. This is just our opinion. This is just an idea. This is not based off of any financial expertise on our part. Yeah. So it's been great to have somebody on that actually uh, can finally back it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no thanks for thanks for having me guys i think you're doing great work a lot if um i mean if ever you want to deal with like a specific subject or something specific mm-hmm. that's sort of financial related more than happy to come back it's been a blast i really enjoyed it amazing Wicked. that'd be great thanks, thanks so, so much. much pete enjoy your day no worries thanks chaps so there we are after having teased you with part two last week it's over You've got it's the done. full experience. The full experience. I hope you binged them as well. I hope you hope even if you had listened to part one before, you went back to get it again and then listened to part two. That would have been great. Are you going to action some of the uh, things Pete said? Uh, I'm definitely going to get on board on the old uh, pension front now, now mm-hmm. that I'm glad he's clarified that and gone, you'd be a moron not to. So you're convinced so. you're going to make it to 55 to be able to get the payout? Um, well... He's hoping. <laughs> Ever the optimist. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so I really, really hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed having Pete on. He's a great, great guy. And um, as I said, definitely worth checking out his podcast because uh, it's just nice, succinct, not overly complicated. It just makes it nice and simple for you. And um, it's a great listen. It's a really nice casual casual listen and quite eye-opening as well. Um, so make sure you check that out. It's uh, meaningfulmoney.tv. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, Pete has also said to us that um, if there are any particular issues um, that 
we'd like to discuss and go into more detail with, uh, then he's happy to come back on the podcast, which is great for you guys. So please, if there is anything that you'd like to have clarified as a, as a general topic, I don't know if we're going to be able to get him on. We might be able to send him an email for a quick question, maybe. I don't know. Um, but if there's any general topics that you'd like to hear about as far as money goes, please do send us an email. Um, I'm Wayne at PowerfulNonsense.com and he's Jem at PowerfulNonsense.com, spelled C-E-M. Um, send us an email and uh, and ask away. And if we can get Pete back on to talk about it, we certainly will. Yeah, and if there's anything that you feel maybe we totally missed out, we tried to cover as much ground. But if there's a question that we didn't cover there, yeah, we're happy to blow that out into an episode if mm-hmm. possible most definitely um so a massive thank you to pete for coming on um a massive thank you to you guys for listening uh please do check out his podcast keep please. an eye out for his book as well oh yeah do keep an eye just Which go i'll definitely be buying yeah me too he's as you say he's going to be breaking down a lot of what you hear in a lot of these financial mm-hmm. books based for americans but actually mm-hmm. we can get one for the old uk based peeps yeah so please do uh, give pete a lot of support because um you know that was a great great episode and i think if you haven't if you've come out of that not having learnt something significant then um i question whether you were listening god help place. you <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so again massive thank you to pete and massive thank you to you guys for tuning in if you could do us a massive favor also and leave a review on itunes that does help get the podcast out in front of more people um and i'm sure pete would appreciate it as well um so please do that powerfulnonsense.com forward slash review if you need to work out how that is done five stars or more would be greatly appreciated um so a massive thank you and we will catch you next time see you later